We live in a time where masculinity is shamed and men don't know what it means to be a man. As a pastor and counselor, I've spent the better part of my life equipping and training others. My goal with this show is to translate my hard-earned experience into tools and tactics to help you become stronger as a man. This is the Brave Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Bellant. Hey, Brave Co. Men, I want to tell you about a project that we just finished. It's our Foundations of Masculinity 12 video series that will really help you grow stronger, more confident as a man. Whole bunch of guys are wondering, man, how do I deal with my pain? How do I learn healthy boundaries? How do I lead myself, my family well? How do I become a leader? This course is for you. If you're interested in growing, take 12 weeks out of your life, dig in, do it with a friend, and really up your game. Guys, you can purchase this at bravecode.org. Now on to this week's episode. Justin, thanks so much for coming on. Um, this week is going to be awesome. Justin is one of my lifelong friends. We've been friends for, gosh, I don't know, uh, 14 years, years, maybe Yeah, 13, 13 somewhere in there. So long time. Yeah. And uh-huh. the funnest part is <clears throat> there's friends that you've known for a long time. And then there's friends that you've done a lot of battle with, uh, mm-hmm. you've done a lot of life with and you and I have done a lot of life together from um, counseling and coaching people to uh, being in some of the uh, toughest places for one another. You know, when I was going through my nervous breakdown and all that stuff, you, you were there um, with me and, you know, I've been there with your wife, helped to, to train her and teach her and love on her through the school of ministry. She was, um, she worked with me for a long time and then, um, you and I have been, we've just had so many really, really cool times, um, yeah. together. So this, this to me is like, it's such a treat to be able to bring, a, a man in that I so trust and believe in, and you, you're mm. such a gift to the world, but, uh, specifically to my life. So thank you for that. And I'm excited to, to do this podcast with you. Ah, oh, ditto, man. I do want to say something on that note of friendship. One of the things that's a super valuable asset, in 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 my opinion, when it comes to masculine relationships, is when you have friends that are kind of like you know that they'll show up for you in a really tight spot. Like you don't even there's vulnerable exchanges that we've been able to do that have been really beautiful, and we've been able to love each other in those processes in ways that you've. Uh, been there to like meet me in pain and stuff like that. And then there's just this, like something that I super value value in this is like, I know that if you and I go an extended amount of time of not talking or connecting, I can always make a phone call and say, Jay, I'm in, I'm in trouble here with something, or I especially need help in this area. And you're going to be like, what can I do to show up for you right now? And that type of faithfulness inside of masculinity is, um, it's a game changer to know that there are other men that are living out there around you that will come in in those moments and show up. So, yeah, those relationships are a must have. <clears throat> Every man needs, needs someone that, uh, can come and, and, and lend strength. Um, Justin, you and Abby have championed some incredible businesses. Um, you've got a great coaching business. 
as well. You guys have your Living Fully Alive podcast and some really cool um, communities that I'll let you I'll let you talk about a little bit um, in there. So if if people are looking for a place to um, find some help, um, man, you guys have some yeah. of the the best training and teaching on compassion, connecting with yourself, working through uh, old pain and trauma in your life, have some friends that are going through your guys's courses and they're just getting so much breakthrough. So yeah, maybe just share for a second about that. Yeah. Abby and I have been doing for about 10 years, uh, training, equipping and transformation within the, uh, arena of what I call life consulting, which is helping people really connect to their belief systems, process to their pain and get connected to the world right in front of them. And, um, we have multiple different courses and stuff right now. We have, uh, the connected life podcast, which really we try and give really great material so people can get personal heart transformation for free because we just want to see lives changed. And then, um, we have, uh, multiple different courses running right now. There's something called the pathway to freedom, um, that people can find out more about on Justin and Abby. That's abi.com. And, um, the pathway to freedom helps people understand what their emotions are actually trying to tell them about themselves. A lot, a lot of times there's this buzzword called triggers, right? And a lot of times triggers means you're doing something to offend me. But when the conversation that happens inside of this course is, Hey, the big emotions or responses that I'm having to life are really about my emotions, trying to have a conversation with me about unresolved pain. And these emotions yeah are unconsciously driving a lot of my actions and reactions to life around me. And so it's a, it's a way of taking back our life by getting very in tune with what's going on inside of us. And we've seen dramatic changes in people's lives who have gone through that. And so that course is going on right now, but we just, we love um, seeing people get understanding. If we can understand why we're doing what we're doing, then we have hope to actually make change to it. It's not just that life has to continue to happen to us. And I came from an environment, I'll say this, um, where there was a lot of levels of neglect and abuse inside of the love expression in my home. And I felt very powerless, powerless to pain, powerless to external circumstances. And I spent a lot of my adult life trying to figure out what does it look like to not be powerless mm -hmm. to things happening to us. And that's a lot of what we do is help people get out of this sense of powerlessness or victimhood or victim mentality. And uh, yeah. that doesn't mean we can control life. That just means we know how to manage ourselves internally and heal from the bumps and bruises that we gather along the way. So, yeah. Well, you and Abby yeah. are masters at taking people through that process. And so, oh, thank you. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about the the road to fearlessness. And <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, yeah, in, in kind of prepping for this podcast, we were talking a little bit and I want you to dive in and share your story with us, um, mm. how you grew up, a little bit about uh, the trauma in your life and then we're going to talk about how to become fearless through your story. So would you share that with us? Yeah, I'd love to get into that. My One of the things that's really cool in my life is that when, we, when I currently reflect on my childhood, 
and the experiences that I had with my parents, I can say that there's been an immense amount of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration inside of the relationships. So uh, I preface this because I think it's necessary to understand that every story has hope. An immense amount of hope is available. Um, it's God's design that he wants to reconcile pain, chaos, and destruction. Um, not, a, not always do we get it the way that we expect, okay? But there is beautiful possibilities available. And I think that my star, story is going to highlight that. And I'll say the last I'll say about that in my preface is that it's really cool because now my mom and my dad are really good friends of mine. And we feel like we can really exchange honestly um, our emotions, um, how we affect one another, which wasn't the case in the beginning. And part of me um, on walking out the, the road to fearlessness um, was part of what repaired our relationship. So, you know, with that said, growing up in my household, it was actually within the last decade where I was sitting across from a therapist and she said, Justin, I think you have complex PTSD. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that I'm, I didn't go to war or whatever, you know, like we think of PTSD is like somebody went to war and they watched somebody shot in the face or something like that. Yeah. And she starts reflecting on my life and she said, do you realize that your childhood didn't have, a mechanism for nurture and care built into it. Mm. And really every story that we dig into, I cannot find within your story, a person. We're not just talking about parent parental experience. We're talking about any external figure that we could find that was there to nurture and be kind and tender and patient with you. It just didn't exist. And that really floored me. Like when I really came to terms with the reality of that, I'm like, wow, yeah, I didn't, that wasn't part of my story. And I think that there are a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, that can identify with the idea of that. It's in some degrees, but when we get into the deeper parts of it, like my mom was very verbally, physically, and emotionally abusive. That looked like emotional outbursts of screaming, yelling at the top of her lungs, raging, cussing in my face, um, slapping me, pinching me till I bruise, leaving marks on me inside the house and vacillating from that extreme of em emotional outburst to, I love you. You're my best friend. Um, I don't know. I do these things to you. Um, and it, that was a very confusing thing. And I got very much put in this role of, I am the primary attachment for my mom where my dad should have been that. Um, there's a book called, um, the emotional incest syndrome. And it sounds like a <laughs> horrible book, <laughs> but it actually talks about like when a parent's love rules our life. It's about this idea that all of a sudden we've become their primary when their spouse should be. And they've leaned on us to get a lot of needs met and stuff. And yeah. so what I watched was inside the household, my mom was very explosive and my dad was very passive and disconnected. He was surviving life. And you kind of see that when he got outside the household, like on job sites, his, his father owned an electrical business. He ran that. And I, I, at 13, started working with him. And in that space, he was very intense and aggressive. 
uh, belittling, demeaning, impatient. And so what you had was this world around me where at any moment, dad's going to explode on the job site. Mom's going to explode inside of the house. Um, grandfather is going to be aggressive and demeaning. Grandmother is going to be very dismissive. And they were very close because they worked in the business too. Um, and so the environment that I was in with my primary attachments, there should have been someone that I could go cry to, that yeah. I could go lean on and say, this is painful. Yeah. Um, and common <clears throat> themes or phrases was suck it up and get over it. Build me a build me a bridge, cry me a river, get over it. I'll give you something to cry about. Quit your crying. Um, you don't all have those anything really to be scared encouraging, of. <laughs> all those really encouraging, helpful statements. It was really empowering for me, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I learned how to die to my humanity. Um, <laughs> and there was a point, a crossroads, I remember... Um, and again, this stuff is public knowledge. I've had these dialogues and it's really cool because my parents have faced a lot of shame that they had about the trauma that they were in that evoked a lot of those experiences. I had a brother that had died at three years old. Um, it was like my mom's fourth child she had lost. There was my, my dad started spiraling after that. You like these situations don't just happen. There aren't villains to our stories. Everybody has perpetual yeah. pain points that if they don't have the care, the nurture, the love that's necessary to grieve well, um, they cope. And as they cope, they they begin to break down and act out in destructive manners that it's not their authentic selves. This wasn't authentically who they were designed to be, but they were acting out of unprocessed pain, right? Yeah. And um, I remember there was this moment where my mom was um, being very violent towards me and I was crying and she was like, stop your crying, stop your crying. If you get me in trouble with your dad, you're going to get it worse. And I heard that a lot. And in this one moment, I was like, I will never give you my tears ever again. Mm-hmm. And I was probably 10 years old. I'd say about 10, somewhere in there, 10, 11. And I just turned it off. And I was like, okay. And I just sat there. She just kept smacking me, just dead, deadpan. And what I didn't do was remove the threat out of my life. I didn't deal with the threat. I compartmentalized. I disconnected from big portions of my soul. It started to unravel a lifestyle of suicidal ideation, right? So it was, I just think about killing myself all the time. And my, my fantasy was if, if I somehow kill myself in a way that's big enough that all these people are going to understand how much pain I'm in. They're going to get the memo. And it wasn't that I wanted to die. It's that I wanted out of the pain. I wanted people to stop being threatening around me. And so it's like nothing had changed. I just shut off. And that happens for so many people. They just shut off. But what I did was in shutting off is I gridlocked myself in in a season of life, a season of time. So I was perpetually trapped 20 years later, you know, 10, 15 years later in childhood trauma, in childhood moments where the threats were very real. It was like in my psyche, in my being, they were ongoing. 
And it was just, I'm scared. I'm scared. Something's going to hurt me. Something's going to take advantage of me. I'm not going to get taken care of. And that bled into my, my uh, adult life. And it got, I got the gift of having it all come up on my journey of facing fears um, and getting into marriage. Man, that's wild. Um, not that you're, not that there's funny points in your childhood, but there was one. The, the funniest uh, story in your childhood for me is when your mom used to put you on the couch and vacuum the carpet <laughs> all around you, <laughs> right? And then she would go to the store and, and she would know if you got off the couch because of the footprints, uh-huh. right? But you yes. would go and sneak, you would go and sneak these these cheese what was it like the american cheese packets? The, yeah the american cheese packets uh-huh <laughs> and then you'd i think come it's back hysterically still remember this yeah you'd come back and you would wipe the footprints away and you would uh-huh. shove the, the old cheese packets into the couch <laughs> oh no what's funny is that the reason this is especially funny is how it got found out. My parents one day, so so she would she'd go to the store for like 15, 20 minutes and come back. And you know, it was in the eighties, and you know, everyone was like, My kid'll survive 20 minutes with me away. <laughs> so yeah, she created this barrier of like, you're on this couch, you're not gonna get away. And I and I figured out how to get to that cheese. And but I didn't want to have to like go back and make more prints. So all of a sudden these wrappers get stuffed in the couch. And one day my dad is like just vacuuming through the couch and he's like, it just keeps getting clogged, this vacuum handle. He's like, what is going in here? And it's just like dozens and dozens of cheese wrappers are just packed into the couch. It it showed, it showed on my waistline too. (laughs) Where's this this kid packing all this weight from? Just see little fat Justin. Tiptoeing off true. like 007. Oh my God. <laughs> trying, trying to get to his cheese. It's it wasn't funny, all you know, bad. On a, no, it wasn't all bad. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because even in that, uh, as a kid, we look for outlets, right? And, and yeah. it's a funny segue into yeah. how we deal with pain and yeah. stuff like that. Because it was like, I was, I was medicating on food. And I know so many kids nowadays, like that is their comfort. That is their control. They are going to go find a way to force feed themselves something. And that is their care. And as I, it's funny because I got healed of um, binge eating in my later adult years when I dealt with my complex PTSD. Like I got, I mean, I wasn't this massive binge eater who was like, I was taking care of myself, but I would just have these crazy cravings. And as I was working through my complex PTSD, one of the, um, I would say one of my best friends was a guy named self-sufficiency and self-sufficiency in the midst of pain, him and I sat down and be like, I got this. I'll figure out how to take care of it because there wasn't really an alternative, right? As a kid to go like, Hey, I'm sad right now. Things are really painful. Um, I'm just going to learn how to be really powerful all on my own. And in that season, I kind of went through a divorce with self-sufficiency. And I was like, I'm going to really let people take care of me. I'm going to let them really be there for me. And it was wild to watch all of a sudden my hunger, a a deep 
hunger pain disappear out of my life because all of a sudden there was this connection to care and nurture friends like guy friends that I'd go and be like, can you hug me for a second? I'm in so much pain. And they would be like, I am so capable of that. And I'd cry in their arms, healthy masculine exchanges where I could get that masculine nurture and care and um, exchanges with my wife where I'd let her in in big pain points and let her hold me and be kind and tender with me. It changed the game, man. Yeah. It's a, it's a complete game changer. I mean, I met you, I would say in the middle of your process. Yeah. Um, that's fair. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. I think that's very accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, to watch where you, where you started to where you're at today is just crazy. I mean, and the thing I love the most, that's why I love you and Abby so much and, mm-hmm. and believe in you guys so much. Uh, for years, I've, I have just been a, such a champion and I'm not tooting my own mm-hmm. horn. I've said the reason why I love this, you guys, is because mm-hmm. you went through a process that was really your own. This is not theory. This is not like in theory, I learned yeah. this in school and then I'm going to go and try to apply these things like you are in the middle of hell. And Abby too. I mean, her story is just as gnarly as yours in the middle of hell Mm -hmm. had to really, uh, decided to face your trauma, your past, your present, where you're really at and dive into that, jump into the process. And that I'll tell you like, that's so hard, which is why we're talking about like walking down the road of fearlessness. You know, I'm in the men's ministry, of course, in the men's world. Yeah. And most of the time when we're, when men are talking about, you got to be fearless, you got to be fearless. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bunch of dudes, you know, doing thousands of push-ups and carrying logs and swimming in cold water. And like, I like that stuff. It's fine. There's a place for that stuff. I, I'm not saying there's no yeah. place for that. But as you modeled really well, the true fearlessness, which by mm. the way, there's no such thing as, as not being afraid. Yeah, uh, I agree. But in this context, right? True fearlessness is being able to look at what's really going on inside of you and facing yeah. it, facing the fear. And you did that. You, you did that. I'd love to have you just talk, walk us through like, man, what was the, what's the first step? You know, there's lots of guys yeah. that, that are living so afraid of their past, so bound to their past, so bound to, and it's all unconscious, mm-hmm. right? That's the tough part is, is these chains to our past, uh, this, these voices that are inside of us, you can't hear them on an audible level. And sometimes you're not even aware no. that it's happening even inside of you. And so, you know, you're afraid of their wife. They're afraid of starting a business. They're afraid of being a failure. They're afraid of real friendships. They're afraid of being a leader. And, and you find out, you, you, yeah. you find out one day that you've lived your whole life in a reaction to something that's not even still alive, although it's living yep. in you, right? The trauma you're reliving over and over again. So I'm not downplaying yeah. that. 
but it's it's not present day. Yep. Yeah. I lo- I love How did you start tackling that? that? Yeah. I'll add this before I get into the tackling it. You know, I've, I have met with some very successful, very wealthy people of notoriety. And I say that because they've hit pinnacle career pinnacles and they'll come in and they'll be like, I feel like such a fraud. Mm. I mean, we're talking like when stock market was crashing and, 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 um, housing market was crashing and things like that. Guys who were like the go-tos in that stuff in their arenas to help like facilitate saving the markets and stuff and give strategy would dialogue with me. And like, I'm just scared that one day everyone's going to see what a fraud I am. Right. And so on that note, it's like, there was all the external work that they were doing to be fearless and face all their fears. And it wasn't solving these root issues. And so getting into the root conversation, um, because a lot of people be like, I I don't have any fears because you're in denial. (laughs) You're in dissociation. You're one of the things, let me add this before I get going as well. I was in a conversation with my therapist today and we were talking actually about fear, which is, which is funny. Um, and how, it wasn't a safe word to share in my childhood. Uh, It wasn't safe to say like, Hey, I'm scared of how you're treating me because it was only going to evoke more and acknowledging fear is some of the scariest first steps. Like the scariest step is to say fear even exists because we're not, we can be angry. We can be ferocious. We can be frustrated. We can be irritated, you know, sat acknowledging I'm sad and I'm scared. (laughs) they are very low on the totem pole as far as options to share. And they signify the lie that's been perpetuated around them is if I acknowledge them, I am signifying that I'm a weak person. In fact, you know, we're sitting here on Braveco, (laughs) right? Podcast. And one of the bravest things we can do is divorce our relationship with denial and begin to deliberately address areas like I want to look at what fear exists inside of me. I know I've got to have it. I know I'm not actually living out the fullness of my dreams. And so that's what kind of played a role in me beginning my journey of practically facing fear at 25 years old. I was in a kind of dialogue with God reviewing my life. And I was thinking about how small I was living. And when I say small, I was thinking like, oh, here's all the dreams and desires, if I'm honest with myself, that I want to do but I'm not doing them. Why am I not doing them? I am flipping terrified of what will happen if I face these things, the places that I'll get rejected, the places where I could fail, the places where people could mock me. And I, and I had kind of this epiphany. And the statement was fear is the gateway between us and the destiny of who we're created to be. It's -hmm. like this idea that fear stands as like this gateway, this doorway, this locked gate that's saying, Hey, you, you're never going to be what God designed you to be because I'm going to stand here and keep you from being that. And I realized like, if I actually want to step into the fullness of my true personality, my true desires, the the true design, I'm going to have to pass to that gate. And I was like, God, 
I'm ready to start facing my greatest fears, no matter what it costs me. Wow. I, I was like, I might as well, cause I would rather, I would rather face it and face whatever comes with it than stay here and die and like live the rest of this life and die knowing that I lived in insignificance. When, yeah. And like, when I say insignificance, like I didn't become who I was designed to be. I don't care if anyone ever knows my name. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm like, this feels like small and insignificant. I felt little. And I'm like, I'm not going to die going, oh, my whole life was spent me being little when I didn't have to be. And that yeah. is the hell that we are living in on this earth. We are in our own jail cell, our prison built out of our finely woven fears that say, we're not going to let you know the fullness of love and express the fullness of yourself through being connected to that love. Because fear doesn't want you to connect to love. And fear is this stopping point for love. It says, nope, love can't get to these areas. And my first point of contact in doing this is I'm going to get married. That feels terrifying. And I'm going to allow someone to fully see me. I'm going to allow someone to choose to love me. I'm going to allow someone to get inside of my pain process with me. Like as I said yes to this, I got married. I quit my job. I'd never been without a job. I quit making money, which since I was 13, I'd been making money. Um, I did it in 2008 when everything was falling apart. There was no guarantee of if there was going to be more for me. So I started having to face my own relationship with performance. Um, and it began a snowball of events where I end up living. Okay, this is hysterical. Living as a married man, a year into marriage in my parents' basement with my wife. Bro, that's a freaking nightmare. <laughs> It, it, it's a nightmare on so many levels. It's a nightmare because our relationship, my relationship with my parents hadn't even been honestly looked at yet. Our, we hadn't had resolve yet. Um, I also had this fear that if I go work for my parents, like my dad worked with his parents, that I would just live the same life that he did where everything fell apart, the marriage was crappy, that I was bound to their cyclical lifestyles that they were living out of. And I was like, okay, I'm going to defeat the cyclical lifestyles. I'm going to face the places where I feel inadequate as a husband because I, I'm living with my parents hmm. because I took a year off of work completely. What, what started as a three-month journey was a, an entire year without working, blowing through all of our savings, Gosh. experiencing each other, butting heads, trying to figure out what it meant to be married and what it meant to love another person. It was terrifying. And at every part of these, mm, every moment of running into a wall of fear, my conversations with God kept driving me into a deep, deep place of intimacy, which was, dad, do you love me? Are you with me? Are you disconnected like my earthly dad? Are you angry and punishing like my earthly mom? Who are you truly? Like God, the, the reason that we live bound inside fear is because we don't have a re revelation of the unrelenting love nature of our creator. And it's, I was getting perpetually liberated by my fear by saying yes to an invitation to face it 
and by inviting God's feedback into those moments and mm-hmm. saying like, here's my fear. I'm willing to trust you with this moment. I feel too broken to figure out how to save my marriage. I feel too broken to figure out how to take the next steps with my career. I, and, and it wasn't like I'm being a victim to life. It's I'm being honest about where I feel paralyzed, where I feel insecure and small. I got honest with me. Mm-hmm. I got honest with God. I didn't try to say like, oh, I got this, God. Oh, I got this, Abby. I'm like, I don't know, Abby. I'm making a mess in the marriage. You're making a mess in the marriage. I don't know what to do. I became, I got humbled. Like facing fear produces humility. Pride is really, I'm trying to prove that I have this all together. Facing fear rips the pride all out and goes, I don't have answers. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I'm here and I need answers. And that's where humility starts breaking in. It's such a um, necessary baseline for everyone to get to, right? Because then you can get some real work done. You can get some real work done with somebody who says, I don't have the answers. I have a problem. Um, yep. I'm willing to own it and, and I need to do something about this. Um, for yep. other people, I think fear also comes along. It looks like a friend, right? So for some yes. of you guys, it will come in and pretend that it's this friend that's helping you navigate life. That's, that's keeping you alive. It's, it's just been working so hard to preserve your life and your name and your integrity. Uh And, and some, sometimes we have to stop and actually make a conscious decision to divorce that thing that we've called friend for a long time. And literally like literally just stopping and saying, fear, you've been a friend for a long time and starting to recognize, right? When we do that, we start to recognize the voice and where, where it's come in and, and mm-hmm. tried to be a leader, a helper, a father in a place of a father, you know, now you got fear in a place of friends. You have, you have fear that's trying to give you good guidance and stopping and, and really breaking that can be massive. Well, um, and I want to add be really massive. I want to, yeah, I want to add to that. Um, oftentimes people, you know, there's, there's a phrase that's like, Oh, don't you, they'll say stuff like, oh, aren't you worried? Don't you care about what's happening right now? Don't you care about what's happening? Aren't you worried about this situation? Yeah. So there's this, there's this design, a cultural design that says, hey, to care is to be in friendship with fear and worry um, and to trust it. And the lie that fear sells us, it's, it's basically like, hey, if you are close enough to me, I can prevent these situations from happening in your life. If you're scared enough of being rejected, if you're scared enough of having a divorce, if you're scared enough of failing at this thing, you can have, you'll be able to have control. You'll be able to plan for things and you're going to be okay. But in all actuality, fear comes to steal, kill and destroy. Really? It is not the nature of God. It is there to accuse you of who you are, who God is, and what God's plans are for you inside of your life. And really, most of the people that I work with in my office, I'm helping them to understand fear is your God. Like, it's mm-hmm. not just a friend. It's become your God. It's been your, become your safe haven that you settle into. And you go, okay, fear, what should I have anxiety or worry about now to protect me? You're going to protect me. And I stopped letting fear be my God. And I, and I actually was like, 
it, you know, when you talk about the divorce process, I had a conversation with fear. I'm like, fear, you're a terrible friend. You're a terrible God. You don't protect me. There's no payoff. I still keep getting rejected. I still keep uh, having problems and failing in these areas. You have never actually accomplished anything you've said that you were setting out to do inside of my life. And I've believed that you're more powerful than the nature of God, the nature mm -hmm. of love, the nature of care, the na nature of patience and gentleness and kindness and all like, and, and I'm just done with that. Yeah. I minimized. Yeah. No, I think it's great. You know, at some point the rubber meets the road, right? Where you take those steps, you have this epiphany, you say, you know, I've lived my whole life being bound by fear. I've got this yeah. trauma in my life. And, but, I, you know, I broke a partnership with fear, but I, I still have to face it, right? Because mm -hmm. you wake up in the morning and <clears throat> you got to put some, some boots to the, to the trail and actually take some steps. And I think that, that that's where, like a lot of men want to have confidence in an area, you know, they, they want to feel yeah. like a confident man. All of us do, but confidence is only built through doing like, I can't yeah. give you my confidence. I can give you courage. I could encourage you, but confidence yeah. comes when I do something and I, I learn from my failure and I try it again. I get a little bit of success. And the more I do that, right. The more confident I get. And yeah. it's kind of the same thing. Like in, in my mind, whether working through trauma or in your life or overcoming these obstacles mm -hmm. of fear. And I'd love for you to take us down just through like, what were some of those confidence building moments, whether it was a bit with your business, whether it was with your wife, like what did the day to day look like when you were having to, you know, face that, that fear in your life that made you want to turn back th that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there was such a mixture of confidence building. Um, like when you think of something like, let me give you an example, simple thing, my business. When I started my business, I remember like, I didn't know how to start a business and I didn't know how to get a business license. And my first fear I was facing was a conversation with my buddy, Ryan. And I said, Ryan, I got to be honest. So I was like facing this big thing to expose myself to another man. I feel so overwhelmed and I feel so scared and I feel so small at the idea of knowing what to do about getting a business license. And I feel like I'm dumb for not knowing how to do this. And he was so kind with me and he was like, buddy, I know those things can feel overwhelming, especially when you didn't go to business school and you weren't taught anything and you're not allowed to ask questions. Cause I wasn't allowed to ask questions. Really. I got yeah. more frustration when I asked questions as a kid. He was like, could I go with you and take you down um, to where you can get the, the business license place? And can we go together and fill out papers? And I just started tearing up right there. And I was like, yeah, I would love that. And I let him father me. I let a fathering moment happen with a peer. And I started letting, leaning into letting people practically love me in moments. Um, I want to circle back to a situation with you and I that we had, you know, one of the things that you did, which was very empowering and I feel deeply, deeply loved by is years ago, 
you put together a men's conference and was like, Justin, I want to do this together. And you created an invitational space for me to deep dive into expressing something that's designed inside of me. And there was like five to 600 guys that were going to be at this um, engagement, I think. And that felt really daunting. It triggered me into an emotional flashback of my childhood and having heavy expectations to be something or show up. And I was trying to shove all the fear down and just power through be like, I'm just going to do this. And I think two days before a day or two before the event, I was like, I can't hold this down anymore. And I broke down sob crying and I decided I was going to let myself feel the depth of the pain and the fear. And Abby thought I was having like a mental breakdown. I am like scream crying on the floor because I'm so connected to this pain in my life that I'd been ignoring for so long. And she was like, I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) And so she gives you a phone call and I'm like fetal position on the floor in my living room, scream crying. And all of a sudden, so a big spoon wraps itself around me <laughs> and is on the floor with me is like, Hey buddy. And, and you're there and your arm was around me and it startled the hell out of me, man. I was like, Oh my gosh. And for a moment I froze up because I was like, Oh my God, I feel so exposed. Here's another guy who's a friend, but he's also here holding me. And I feel mixed emotions. Like, um, I haven't had a masculine affection that decides to jump into the space of my pain and comfort and physically care for me. And I had to, in that moment, face the fear of feeling shameful and foolish that I would need this or that I would allow this. And I'm like, okay. I I told myself, you're going to let Jason love you. You're going to let him show up for you. wow, I've just got emotional talking about it. I I haven't even thought about this in years and I just hit tears. This is crazy um, as I'm reflecting. Um, And I I remember just being like, you're going to let him give a fathering love in this moment that you so desperately needed. And I allowed myself to connect to the little boy who felt so overwhelmed by the the expectations that he was thrown into by his father. And in this moment, that little boy was getting direct access to a fathering figure that was like, I love you. I'm with you. You're not bad for this. I can be here in this moment. And I just wept and I was no longer a 20 some year old man. I was a 10 year old boy that was finally getting taken care of. And What I'm saying inside of this is I let the love that was available to me in my environment begin to practically repair the broken places that hadn't been parented. I, do you remember? I think you probably remember that pretty well, Hanjay. (laughs) Bro. Yeah. A hundred percent. I remember Abby calling me (laughs) getting the call and being like, Something's wrong with Justin. He's on the floor crying. Like, He's broken. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. Yeah, he broke himself. Uh, <laughs> can you come over? And I remember coming over there and being like, oh, shoot. I mean, what do you do besides like just jump into the mix and go, 
Hey, what's going on? Like, how are you okay? What's happening for you? And, you know, I had a dad that, that modeled what it looked like to be there mm. for me. I had the opposite, you know, of you when I, uh, I can remember being really young and I, I had a lot of anxiety as a kid that I, I didn't really know that I didn't know what it was. I had a lot of fear and anxiety when I was a kid. And so went through a whole stint of my life where probably three nights a week, I'd end up, you know, sneaking into my parents' room late in the night mm. and just sleeping on their floor. And sometimes my dad would wake up in the middle mm. of the night. I, I was probably 12, 13. And he would come over and he would just lay by me. Mm. And those were like, some of the most important moments in my entire life. Some of the most hmm. important moments in my entire life was simply my dad coming over, not shaming me, not going, Hey, you're 13. You know, what the hell's wrong with you? Grow up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing upstairs. There's nothing in your room, nothing in the house, but he just came and he would just lay with me. And sometimes he'd pray over me. Sometimes he would, you know, sometimes he'd just lay there and I'd fall asleep and he'd, he'd eventually bring a blanket, cover me up. And, you know, those rare moments that you get to, that you get to be strength for somebody else. And it looks different. Mm -hmm. It looks different all the time, Mm -hmm. but those rare moments that somebody allows you into their pain point and you get to be Mm -hmm. a listener and then you get to be a a voice of, of comfort. Um, and Matthew says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I love that verse because the truth, it's also true that the opposite, like cursed are those who don't mourn because there's no Mm -hmm. comfort. And the truth is great. When men look, you know, when men look at, um, care, Emotional care, physical care has been so perverted by our culture. Yeah, it has. I mean, even, even guys listening to this would be like, oh my gosh, you got down and you gave another guy a hug when he was crying. Like, it's just hard. It's just, it's awkward. It's hard. It's hard for yeah. for men to think through. And then, and then you start to look at like, well, who told you that that's wrong? Who told you that you're yeah. not, that, that there's there's that that's weak, that there's something wrong with you. If you, if you need, you know, an encouraging word or affection or a hug from another guy and part of that's part of the trauma that you're facing. That's part of the fear that's been put over our culture, over men. And so, you know, I remember it was awkward for me. I mean, that's the truth is like, it was an awk. I had to push through that awkward thing inside of me. That's like, Oh, here's a full grown man in a fetal mm-hmm. position crying and, mm-hmm. and his wife, you know, is standing by being caring. But, and I'm like, Oh, okay. What am I going to do? I, I'm going to jump in to his pain and be there for mm-hmm. him. And, and it's a privilege. You know, those moments are privileged because I'm not really healing. I'm not a part of the, the 28 year old healing. I'm a part of the yep. 12 year old healing. Right. I'm That's a part right. of the, the 13 year old healing. And here's the thing about your trauma, men. And I'm not, we're not saying every man has trauma, but here's the thing about trauma is you are every age you've ever been. 
Yes. You don't grow up and then all of a sudden I'm just 42 years old. That's it. Negative. You know, I, I, I'm not afraid of of the person that's in front of me today. I'm not afraid of the opportunity that's in front of me today. I'm nope. afraid of the things that hurt me. <laughs> I'm afraid of the mm-hmm. things that, that broke me and they're manifesting today in my opportunity in the person that's in front of me. And we have this beautiful, this beautiful opportunity to actually go back and address that eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old boy or girl yep. for a girl who's listening to this and actually say for the first time, maybe in his life, I see you, I know you, you're valuable. I love you. I can sit in this moment for, with you for a little bit and, and walk you through this time, right? Like that's how we begin to heal the traumas. Even God, like, right. Like invite God into the moment where you had, where you were overwhelmed with fear, invite God into the moment, because listen, even though those moments are over in your life, they're still reoccurring in your history and we're living out inside of our history. And so, you know, there's, if we could, if we could take just the men that are listening to this podcast today and connect them to what happened to them, their story, their Mm -hmm. actual story and allow God to rewrite that story while they courageously walk forward in their life, letting people in and loving it. Right. Because God can go and rewrite your history, but you got to walk it out. Yep. You got to walk it out or you're still in a prison. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give you the courage to face what is very real today that happened a long time ago for some of you mm-hmm. and give you the courage to invite somebody in. That's what I love about what we're doing. What I, it's what I, yeah. I absolutely love about what we're doing is we're doing real life on life discipleship. It's not a fake community. We're doing, we're doing, let me hear your story. Let me validate your story, but also let me give you a few tools and get, and keep you accountable for your greatness to keep walking forward through that. And let me do it with you. I want to, can I add something there, Jay? Is it okay? Please. Yeah, absolutely. Cause when we're looking at, we like what, what, what Jason's saying is that we're an amalgamation of the entirety of our life. We're not just this current moment and our history. We were designed in and through love and in and through relationship. That's how we were designed by our creator. And when those things are withheld in moments, our soul, that eight-year-old, that 10-year-old is saying, I still need resolution. I still need resolution. I still need resolution. And it's seeking to reconnect to its original design. So when we've been maybe knocked around, yelled at, screamed at, rejected, whatever, those are these, these moments of shame have separated us from that connection point. Relationship with shame and judgment disconnects us from a relationship with love, which is again, our, our original design that our soul is trying to return back to. And so what it, what, what Jay's really saying is, is we're trying to reconnect all parts of our past that will keep screaming through actions and reactions 
until it gets to its reconnected place. And one of the biggest fears, you know, he's highlighting the the invitation to go back. There's an invitation. God extends an invitation, says, hey, kiddo, I know that you would really like to act like um, history's behind you, but it's actually with you. And my invitation is for you to face the fear of looking at the things that you didn't have the capacity to deal with at that time. You weren't equipped to take care of yourself. You weren't equipped to process pain. You weren't equipped to know how to let people in in that place. But now I want to lend you the wisdom and the understanding and the strength and the tools to go into that space and repair what felt very shattered. And it didn't have to be that you were abused. It could have been, I was in a family where we were all disconnected and I felt alone all the time and my soul constantly feels alone. And I just need to be able to get love to a little boy who desperately needed someone to get involved inside of his world. And it's not a bad thing, but oftentimes we will use religious rhetoric like, oh, I'm saved. That's in my past. God, that's covered by the blood inside of Christian circles, uh, specifically speaking of. And they, it's we use these types of rhetorics because we're scared, because it's the unknown. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to resolve it. So we make up reasons in our fear to continually uh, avoid it. And so what Jason's talking about in this podcast and other ones is that there's an invitation on the table that it's necessary to go to those places. Because like he said, he wasn't holding a, a 26, 27, 28 year old. How I can't even remember how old I was, but he wasn't holding the adult. He was holding a 12 year old, a 10 year old right in that moment. Right. And there are so many places where the 12 year old is the one, the adult has the 12-year-old acting out, you know, diving into deep levels of pornography or affairs or whatever. It's the 12-year-old who's in pain, who's trying to get a resolve, who's trying to get back to love, care, uh, peace, trying to get out of the torment that it's inside of. And we, and we partner with it and feed it destructive elements rather than going, oh, I see that, there, that this part of my soul is needing care and comfort. What happened? Why am I scared to look at it? And why am I scared to share that with people? What do I believe that'll mean about me if I have to lean on people to find solutions? Yeah, I, it's so awesome. The um, This is what it looks like to build a warrior as much as building, you know, doing yeah. the push-ups and, and doing the log carries and the hammer throw and climbing the mountains, which again, I love all that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm a, uh, I do that stuff, but the first, you know, the first, the first place that we build the warriors is from the inside out and everything else is, is, um, you know, a, a result or the product of that. And Justin, you're just such a champion and such a great model for, you know, what, what the modern day warrior looks like. And, um, mm. man, I, I love your story. I love the success that you have in your day, uh, sorry, in your life today, you've got a, an mm. incredible marriage and an incredible business and, um, you're an author and yeah, you just, you got such great friends and a great family, a relationship. A lot of people are, are, um, you know, going, man, I wish I could have that kind of relationship with my parents. 
but it, it started with you. It didn't start with your parents going, Hey, we want to fix all this stuff. It actually started with you guys getting yeah. well and, and then coming with a place of, of forgiveness before they ever asked for it. Yes. And, and opening wanna, up a space for them. I want to just add this to that. Cause I think that this is necessary. Um, not only did I look into the past at what was going on inside of me, I looked to confront what played a role inside of it. Part of some of my greatest confidence building was when I had the scariest conversations with my parents, having to mm. challenge the system, not even from a place of vilifying them, but like, hey, there was abuse here. Hey, there were problems here. And yeah, you guys, here's some of your guys' wins. It's not all bad, but there was some really big problems that I need to dialogue about and how it affected me. And that was met with resistance that was met with denial, that was met with further neglect. I had to face the pain of not, because a lot of people would be like, well, what's the point? They're just going to ignore it anyways. And I was like, yeah, but that may be true. You may have these hard dialogues with people in your life where there was pain. But the thing is about you healing something inside of yourself by facing the fear, uh, what happens is you begin to grow up. You don't feel like a little kid anymore. You're challenging the things yeah. that happened. You're being honest inside of those spaces. You're doing the hard conversations as the exchanges begin to go back and forth. And someone says, that never happened. Actually, it did. I'm going to push back on you. I'm going to share my heart on this. And I knew that they may never change in the process. And I didn't go in to have the conversation to change them. I went in to love myself really well, face the fear, the thing that was scaring me the most. What am I scared of? I'm scared to have this dialogue that's coming up right now inside of me as I can feel pain happening. And the next time there was pain, there was another scary dialogue that came up. I'm like, I need to have this dialogue with my grandpa right now and share this thing with the man who everyone was terrified of his entire life. And it wasn't that I was fearless, it was that I faced my fear and it kept causing me to have less and less fear in my life as I obliterated it from these experiences. And I suddenly felt like a man. I can say that I started feeling like a man when I stopped being passive and I started facing the things that I believed at one point would break me or would break someone else by having to do it. And I realized that I wasn't so fragile. I wasn't so insignificant. And I realized that God was a lot more involved than I had previously uh, believed to be true because he showed up in those moments with me to comfort me, even if they didn't show up well. It's so cool because now, you know, looking back, like your dad's such a cool guy. Like I've spent so much time with your dad and yeah. We've, we've done some ministry together. I brought your dad up on stage before to pray a father's yeah. prayer over everyone. I brought, I've had guys come forward who needed a father's blessing and had your dad, like your dad is such a cool guy. He's done so much work. Yeah. So what he watched you and Abby, right? Like completely transform their lives. And then your mom and your dad just followed right in, in suit and, um, man, they came out here for a while. I spent a bunch of time hanging out with your dad and, yeah. and, um, was able to, to just pour in some love into him and watch him like go from, I don't even know what I'm doing with my life. My life's tough to, you know, like 
to like this powerful guy who now knows why he was alive and, and was able yeah. to not live in regret. Right. But to like, okay, yeah. how can I take the mistakes that I've learned, uh, that I've done and, and put them behind me. And then how can I give away like this father's blessing to these young men who were really like your dad needing a father to, to bless him. And so it's such, your story is such a cool story of redemption and so much hope for every man who's listening to this, who has a similar story because it, our breakthrough isn't just our breakthrough. It's, it right. is a, yeah, it's a key that, that allows other people to get breakthrough. It's awesome. It's permission. It's permission because when we are willing to face our fears, we are giving people permission to face their fears. And it may go against the acceptable cultural norm that we're inside of. And that's why people don't face fears and act outside of the box is because we just don't do that in our family. We don't do that in our culture. But all of a sudden they're like, wait, you can do that? Wait, so, like that's helpful? That changes things? I didn't know I was allowed to show up, challenge things, look at things honestly. And so it's like, like Jason's saying about my story, we're just modeling. It's just like, I'm going to fully live facing fear. It is going to model something for the people around me, whether it's family or friends, it's going to start to challenge the, the hell that they're in. And they're going to start to go, I don't have to do I? Why should I be living in this hell? He's not. You mean there's a way out? I think I want to walk out of it. And we lend, like, like Jason said earlier, we're lending courage. Our stories, our choices lend courage to other people. And we get to go as a community forward instead of like a lot of people are like, I'm scared. I'll feel so alone if I do this. No, you're just a trailblazer and everyone gets behind you on the trail and goes, yeah, I want to run too. And that's what Jason's done in his life. He's been like, well, I'm going to show up for men. I'm going to love men. I'm going to be a trailblazer in these areas and fight for men. And it's given other men permission to have the same fight and to face their same fears inside of themselves. And it's contagious. So just know guys and gals that are listening, but you know, um, facing fear and being brave is contagious. It's awesome. Justin, you're such a beast. Um, Thank you so much for spending some time with us today, unpacking mm -hmm. your story for us, giving us uh, your wisdom and, and just again, an, another encouragement to continue down the road, uh, the pathway of, of fearlessness, owning our own story and, and facing, you know, the, the, yeah. the pain in order to really um, unlock the truth and the freedom that God has for each one of us. So um, thanks so much guys. Dude, listen, I, dude, thank you. Okay. I love you. I appreciate it. I, I was just going to say thank you. I, I appreciate you letting me be here with you. And and I appreciate everyone willing to spend time with us and listen to me share my story. So, Absolutely. Um, listen, if you guys want to get more connected to Justin and his wife, Abby, um, they can reach out on social media. Is that the best way, Justin? Yeah, you can reach out to me at uh, Justin Stumball on Instagram. Abby, that's A-B-I, Stumball on Instagram. And again, Justin and Abby, that's abi.com. And uh, you can go listen to us uh, on The Connected Life on any place that podcasts are downloaded. So it's awesome. Guys, listen, um, continue down that path of fearlessness, owning your story, be brave, and have an incredible week. Um, we'll talk to you later.
Bye now. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Braveco podcast. If you like this podcast, would you please rate it, review it, leave us a great comment. And if you like this episode in particular, share it with your friends and family. That helps us to spread the word. Guys, stay brave. We'll see you next week.